Welcome to this podcast featuring well-known Bible teacher, Kevin Connor. For more information, visit kevinconnor.org. Okay, tonight we're going to have a look at a few thoughts in Genesis chapter 5. Let's uh, start off uh, with Genesis 5 and uh, we're going to read verses 1 through to 3 and make a couple of comments before we move on to the main area of our study tonight. Uh, Genesis 5 verse 1. This is the book of the generations of Adam. In the day that God created man in the likeness of God made he him, male and female created he them and blessed them and called their name Adam in the day when they were created. Uh, and Adam lived 130 years and begat a son in his own likeness after his image and called his name Seth. Now, it's a very interesting contrast here just sort of introducing this chapter here uh, to go over to Matthew chapter 1, Matthew chapter 1, and we'll compare it with uh, Genesis chapter 5 and verse 1. Matthew chapter 1 verse 1 and Genesis 5 verse 1. Just refreshing again on Genesis 5 verse 1. This is the book of the generations of Adam. Uh, Matthew 1 verse 1 says, The book of the generation of Jesus Christ. Everybody's going to be found in one or other of the books. Book of the generation of Adam. And the first Adam brings sin and sickness and death and sold man out to the kingdom of darkness. Uh, but the book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the last Adam, brings us out from being in Adam and puts us into Christ. But everybody finds himself in one book or the other. So I'm glad that I've been taken out of the book of the generations of Adam, referring to natural birth, and I've been put into the book of the generation of Jesus Christ, spiritual birth. How many are glad for that tonight? You'll notice back in Genesis 2 that, uh, as we re- referred to on a previous occasion, Male and female created he them and blessed them and called their name Adam, but it was Mr. and Mrs. Adam before the fall, not Adam and Eve, but Mr. and Mrs. Adam. And then uh, we're told the first Seth uh, uh, who replaced Abel, Adam lived 130 years and begat a son in his own likeness after his image. Man was created in the likeness and image of God. Let us make man in our image and after our likeness. But now Adam has fallen, so he begets a son in his likeness and his image, a fallen image. And Paul takes it up, as we are born the image of the earthly, uh, after the first Adam we'll bear the image of the heavenly. Uh, pointing to that uh, ultimate image conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. Now, let's go back to Genesis 5 then just uh, with those few introductory remarks. And in this chapter, we have uh, the generations that are listed from Adam through to Noah. And... Uh, Many times, I'll just read a few verses like uh, we find in verse 4, the days of Adam after he begotten Seth were 800 years and he begat sons and daughters. And all the days that Adam lived were 930 years and he died. Seth lived 105 years, begat Enos. And he lived after he begat Enos 807 years and begat sons and daughters. And all the uh, days of Seth were 912 years and he died. Verse 11, Enos and he died. Uh, verse 14, the days of Canaan, and he died, verse 17. And all the days of Mahalalel were 895 years, and he died. And Jared, in verse 20, lived 960 and two years, and he died. And Enoch lived 60 and five years, begat Methuselah. And Enoch walked with God after he begat Methuselah 300 years, begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Enoch were 360 and five years. And Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. Verse 27, and all the days of Methuselah were 969 years, and he died. And verse 31, all the days of Lamech were 777 years, and he died. Eight times in that chapter, the death bell is tolling. And he died, and he died, and he died, and he died. But one escaped death. Now, I'm sure that most of us, as we read chapters like that, and think, well, what's all that genealogy about? And we, we, we sort of... Uh, think that Adam not lived 930 years then he died and then Seth was there and he lived so many years and he died but it's a very interesting thing and I'm going to put this on the overhead just for a moment here uh, leading up to where we're heading tonight that many of these patriarchs were fellowshipping together 
we think they were sort of on their own. So I'm just going to put this on the overhead. Hope you can sort of uh, see it a little bit anyway. You don't have to worry about trying to take it down. But just to show you some very uh, interesting things here. Uh, I'm not sure if you can see it too well, but let's uh, try anyway. No, the uh, blade seems to have dropped here. All right, it's not very well projected here, but let me just point out some things. For instance, up the top here we have uh, BC 4000 uh, from Adam right through to uh, BC 1900 here, uh, 1700. And we find that Adam lived 930 years, Seth 912, and uh, Enos 905 and so forth. And you'll find that Adam, Seth, Enos, all these of the godly line were all living together. And Adam, uh, he died just before Noah came on the scene, but uh, these men were acquainted and had fellowship together. And when we come even to the time of Noah, which we're going to be looking at next week, I think, uh, Noah lived 950 years, about 600 years before the flood, and then about 350 years after the flood. Well, Noah, of course, he had Shem, Ham, and Japheth, but Noah knew Abraham. So Abraham and Noah had good fellowship. So that means that Noah lived to see the Tower of Babel. He went through the flood. He came from one side of the flood, came through to the other side of the flood, and uh, he lived to see the Tower of Babel and the scattering of the nations to the various islands and so forth, which we'll look at, and the great continents, and he talked and had fellowship with Abraham. It's even possible that uh, he knew Isaac, but at least he knew Abraham. So, you know, we think so often, we read the scripture and think Adam lived and he died, Seth came on the scene, he died, and all these lonely little fellows, but they were having tremendous fellowship together. So we see that Adam goes way down uh, to Lamech here and then Noah through to Abraham so that there's a contact of all the godly line there and their years are recorded. And uh, another very interesting thing is this, that there's no record that the, the Garden of Eden was destroyed until the flood. So what, where do you think all these fellows, these godly line, would be coming for their meetings? They'd be coming to the tabernacle of the Lord at the Garden of Eden, which we've been dealing with. See, so uh, that sort of throws a little light on things. But these fellows just weren't on their lonesome. They're having good fellowship with, with one another there. Now, the area we're going to look at tonight is concerning Enoch. And we're going to look at Enoch as uh, a picture of the church and pick out some of the major things that uh, the Lord has given us here. Now I'd like you to go over to a couple of New Testament scriptures in a moment. Let's, let's just read uh, Genesis 5. I want to uh, give you the three main scriptures. Now, when we look at this study of Enoch that we're going to be doing tonight, we only have uh, three short passages of scripture dealing with Enoch, and we can read over and think there's not much in it, but the Holy Spirit has a way of putting so much into a few verses. So the first references we have to Enoch, Genesis chapter 5 um, and verses 21 to 24. Genesis 5 verses 21 to 24. And then the next reference we have to Enoch is found in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 5. And then the last reference we have to Enoch is found in Jude uh, verses 14 and 15. So we only have three references to Enoch in the scripture and so uh, we're sort of going to look at them tonight. Uh, little as much when the Holy Spirit's in it. All right, in Genesis chapter uh, 5, I'd like to sort of lay these passages out and then we'll sort of bring them together. And Enoch lived 16 five years and begat Methuselah. And Enoch walked with God after he begat Methuselah 300 years and begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Enoch were 360 and five years. And Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. 
All right, let's go on to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews 11. I think we'll read verse 5 and 6 together. Hebrews 11, verse 5 and 6. By faith Enoch was translated that he should not see death and was not found because God had translated him. For before his translation he had this testimony that he pleased God. For, but without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is the rewarder of them that diligently seek him. All right, let's turn to the epistle of Jude. The Epistle of Jude. And we'll read verse 14 and 15. And Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment upon all and to convince all that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have ungodly committed and of all their hard speeches which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. So we only have three brief references to Enoch here, but there's a tremendous lot that the Holy Spirit has packed into those few verses. Now let's just pick the overall scene here. So uh, Genesis 5, Hebrews 11, and Jude 14 and 15. Now as we go through Genesis chapter 5, and uh, as has been mentioned, and we'll repeat it again, time is lost. When it comes to the six generations of Cain, none of their years are recorded. We don't know whether I lived 120 years, uh, 600, 700 years. God doesn't record time for the sinner because once a man's out of covenantal relationship with God and out of relationship with God, it is time lost. But he records all the years of the saints, the godly line. So in Genesis chapter 5, we have 10 generations but the, we're going to go through to the seventh tonight. Now, I'm not going to put the names fully up on the board, but I want to show you that God has something in mind because as we read in Jude, Enoch the seventh from Adam. Now, why does God pick out that number seven, the seventh from Adam? So let's put it down this way just to sort of help us uh, in what we want to look at here. The first man that's listed in Genesis chapter five and, and God has put it for some reason and I think by the time we're through we should see that. First man that is listed in the genealogy here is Adam. Then the next man that's listed, uh, Abel, was uh, martyred, and so he's not recorded in the living genealogy here. Adam, and then we have Seth, the next man. Then the next man that we have, his genealogy, is Enos. And you'll notice that all these men, as I said, every one of them, they beget sons and daughters, and so why are these men picked out? Because the characteristic of all these men is that they are firstborn. Firstborn, receiving the birthright and passing on the birthright privileges. The firstborn and the birthright. That's why God picks out these men. Firstborn, the birthright. Then the next man we have is Canaan. I get them mixed up with the Cain and the ungodly line. Canaan. Then I'll just abbreviate this fellow. The next fellow we have is Maharaleel. Something like that anyway. I had a name like that. I changed it to Kevin. Uh, <laughs> Maharaleel. And then the next fellow that's mentioned here is Jared. And then the next one we mention, and this is the one we want to look at, is Enoch. Enoch. Now, when the Holy Spirit takes us up to Jude in the epistle of Jude, he says, Enoch the seventh from Adam. So Adam, number one, Seth, number two, Enoch, number three, Canaan, number four, Mahalaleel, number five, Jared, number six, and Enoch, seven. So God immediately picks out this fellow. Now, as we're going to see, and I'll sort of throw some things in on the way here. In God's, as we've seen on our second study, I think it was when we dealt with God's week, 
the week of creation and the week of redemption. It has pleased God in the week of redemption to allot to man six days, 6,000 years. And the 7,000 year, how many believe in a coming thousand years around here anyway? Or are you people in the millennium now? How many are? <laughs> oh, God, help us. <laughs> All right, well, I don't care what you believe anyway. This is fun. <laughs> so, six generations. God picks out, marks out, and the thing that characterized these men is death. And he died, he lived, and he died, and he lived, and he died, and he lived and died, and he lived and died, and he lived and died. But, death. Something happens to this man. Two things happen to him. He is immortalized. He escapes death. And just to make it worse, he's translated to heaven in God's flying saucer. <laughs> How many would like to hang around this guy for a little bit here? <laughs> Let's turn over to Hebrews chapter 9. We've got some problems we need to look at here. Hebrews chapter 9, and uh, we'll quote along with it. Hebrews 9 verse, uh, oh, verse 27. And as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment, so Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many, and unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. Linking up with it, Genesis chapter 2, verse 17, But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it, for in the day that you eat thereof, you will surely die. Now God speaks to the first man, Adam, who by sin introduces death, and God pronounces on him and all the unborn generations the death penalty. In the day you sin, you'll surely die. And so, though they're men of faith, and they have faith in the coming Messiah, in the atonement. Yet uh, the death penalty, because the last enemy to be destroyed is death. And yet God allows one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, and all of a, uh, six, and all of a sudden the seventh man comes on the scene and says, Enoch, I want to grab you. And uh, God says to Enoch, I'd like to take you to heaven without dying. But Enoch says, God, I'd bought my little plot. Price of ground has gone up. Everybody's dying. Everybody's doing it. Even the saints. Even all these six fellows. Listen, Enoch, you're number seven. Well, what's seven got to do with anything, Lord? <laughs> well, it's the number of the book of Revelation, but the book of Revelation hasn't even been written. Well, we won't worry about it. I've got something in mind I want to demonstrate in you, Enoch. Are you in for it or not? <laughs> if you don't believe me, ask Enoch when you see him. <laughs> you think I'm making all this up, don't you? <laughs> Enoch, the seventh from Adam. Well, I'd like to. The, the thought is very nice, Lord. But uh, in the epistle to Hebrews, which is going to be written by Paul, I think, anyway. He says it's appointed unto man once to die and after death the judgment, so I'll just have to die. Let me curl up and die. Uh, Enoch, you're number seven. I want to do something with you. You mean you want to break this appointment here that started back here? Yeah, well, why don't you do it for number three or number five or number four or six? No, I want to do it with number seven. 
How many think God was trying to demonstrate something here? Maybe not. All right. Why don't you turn over to a couple of uh, other scriptures here in the Psalms. Let's turn to Psalm... Hundred and well, it was here last week. Psalm 102, and then Psalm 69, uh, Psalm 79. Two psalms I want you to look at here. And I want to make a sort of statement first before we read the scriptures. In Hebrews 9:27, as we've read, God issues the universal appointment. It is appointed unto men once to die. It is a universal appointment, and when uh, the time comes for the appointment, nobody can postpone that appointment. But. God has promised, even in the Old Testament, and the fuller revelation is given to the Apostle Paul, God has prophesied in these two Psalms we're looking at that there is going to be a generation. These are the generations of Adam, the book of the generations of Adam. There's going to be a generation that escapes that appointment. And then Paul is given the fuller revelation of it. All right, let's look at Psalm 102 and see if this is so. We'll take from verse 13. Wow, it's 20 to 9. Can you believe that? Um, Psalm 102, verse 13. Thou should arise and have mercy upon Zion, for the time to favor her, yea, the set time is come. For thy servants take pleasure in her stones and favor the dust thereof, so the heathen shall fear the name of the Lord and all the kings of the earth thy glory. When the Lord shall build up Zion, he shall appear in his glory... He will regard the prayer of the destitute and not despise their prayer. This shall be written for the generation to come. Now which generation is it? This is the book of the generations of Adam. Generations of Seth, generations of Enoch, Etan and so forth. Enoch, the seventh from Adam. This shall be written for the generation to come and the people which shall be created. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. He is a new crea creature. Uh, this shall be written for the generation to come. So there must be some generation to come. What's written for the generation to come? And the people which shall be created shall praise the Lord. Well, what are they going to praise the Lord for? For the next two or three verses. Four. He has looked down from the heights of his sanctuary, from heaven, the heavenly sanctuary, did the Lord behold the earth. What for? To hear the groaning of the prisoner. All of us are prisoners. All of us are prisoners. To hear the groaning of the prisoner, and what? To loose those that are appointed to death. Check the margins. To loose the children of death. But it's appointed unto men once to die. I know I've appointed unto men once to die, but I'm going to have a generation called the generation. It's a generation to come. There's a certain time for it. And there's going to be a people which are going to be created, and they're going to praise the Lord. What for? They're going to praise the Lord for the fact that he's looked down from his heavenly sanctuary, he's heard the groaning of the prisoner and uh, that he's going to loose those that are appointed to death. But Lord, how can you loose those appointed to death? Well, I gave you a sample in Enoch, the seven from Adam. I loosed him. But it wasn't time. Well, that was all right. Enoch reached over to the end time generation, to that generation, and he became a first fruit and a sample individually of what I would do corporately with a generation. So, 
you'll hear the groaning of the person to loose those that are appointed to death to declare the name of the Lord in Zion and his praise in Jerusalem when the people are gathered together and the kingdoms to serve the Lord. All right, let's go over to Psalm 79, see if he says the same thing. Uh, Psalm 79 and verse 11. And I'd like you just to sort of compare it with Psalm 102. It's saying the same thing. Let the sighing of the prisoner come before thee to hear the groaning of the prisoner. Let the sighing of the prisoner come before thee according to the greatness of thy power. Preserve thou those that are appointed to die. It is appointed unto man once to die. He's going to preserve those that are appointed to die. He's going to reserve the children of death, the margin says. He's going to loose some generation that are appointed to death. All right, now that's Old Testament. So that's Old Testament. That's in the Psalms. That's for the Jews. Anything you don't want, give to the Jews. All right, let's go over to Pauline Revelation. And Paul, he gives very clear scriptures on this that he receives a revelation. And it was nothing new, really. It was already in the Old Testament in those two scriptures I've given you. Plus, God has demonstrated the prophecy in this man. But Paul gives very clear revelation, so there's no mistaking here. Let's turn over to uh, first, well, let's uh, make it first Thessalonians and then back to first Corinthians. First Thessalonians chapter four. First Thessalonians chapter four. And uh, verse 13 through to 8, we'll just read a little bit and paraphrase a little bit. It says, Brethren, I don't want you to be ignorant concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. The Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first, and we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Now, here are six men that, using New Testament language, sleep in Jesus by faith, by faith, by faith, these all died in faith. And these represent the first company, the dead in Christ, those who sleep in Jesus, these who died in faith. These all died in faith. They didn't die in unbelief. They, I'm putting the button down, what I'm saying is. They died in faith. So, these represent. And six generations and so, for 6,000 years, death has been reigning over the believers. Six. But we're coming to the 7,000 years when this will take place. So the dead in Christ rise first, and we which are alive and remain. And Enoch represents those who are alive and remain. And that generation that escaped the appointment with death. Now they're not going to escape death. They're going to escape death, but they're not. I'll explain that in a minute. All right, so we've got two companies there. The dead in Christ and the alive and remain company. All right, 1 Corinthians 15. In the mouth of two or three witnessing scriptures shall every word be established. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15. And verse 50. All right, uh, verse 50. 
1 Corinthians 15. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. Now when Enoch was translated to heaven, what do you think happened to his body? How many would think he's got a perfect, immortal, glorified body? How many would think that? See, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. See? So it's impossible for Enoch to be in heaven tonight. And he's there, you know, this is not just a little sermon or Bible study. Enoch's been up there a few thousand years having a ball. <laughs> Think he's ever popped down to earth for a visit? Or you think he's sitting on a little cloud playing a harp? <laughs> not when we look at some of the stuff he has here. All right, so uh, flesh and blood shall, uh, cannot inherit the kingdom of God, neither does corruption inherit incorruption. So he could not go to heaven with a corruptible, sinful, mortal body. He has to experience the changeover. So Paul continues, Behold, I show you a mystery, that which can only be known to the initiated. What the meaning of the Greek word mystery is. I show you that which can only be known to the initiated. We will not all sleep. But Paul, you said it's appointed unto men once to die. Now you're saying we shall not all die. Well, let's hang on a minute. You want to read my Romans epistle. But we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. How fast does the eye twinkle? When? At the last trump. How many know when the last trump is? Last trump is the seventh trump. It's that number seven again. So the trumpet shall sound, and let's uh, superimpose our reading on the board here, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption and this mortal must put on immortality. So you got two companies there. So when this corruptible shall put on incorruption and this mortal, because the word mortal means death doomed, all of us are mortal here tonight. Anybody immortal here? You may go up. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> We're mortal. Our bodies are death-doomed unless we break this appointment with death. So when this corruptible shall put on incorruption and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then, when? Then. <laughs> then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. None of those fellows could say that. Now I know we like to read this at a funeral. I read it myself. But it's not really true, as yet. Why won't we read it properly? When, when, when this corruptible has put on incorruption, this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Death wasn't swallowed up in victory. And he died, 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 and he died. But oh, when this mortal put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying, and Enoch could say, Oh, death, where is thy sting? You didn't get me. I went up with the uptaker, not the undertaker. Oh, grave, where is thy victory? Now listen carefully, because the implications in this are heavy. The sting of death is sin. So if you escape death, the only way you can escape death is have the sting pulled out. And every one of us have been stung. The sting of death is sin. And the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, there's going to come a day when the sting of, of death, the sin sting, is going to be pulled out. And once you pull that death sting, I mean that sin sting, uh, out of the body, it's no longer mortal. Right? Is that right? You're looking at me. 
funny to not come out. So we have two scriptures from the Old Testament and an illustration here. Two scriptures in the Old Testament that God's going to have a generation that's going to escape the appointment of death. They're going to be loose from it. And um, we have an example that he demonstrated here. Now, let's see. We've just got a few minutes. What do I do? Um, Let me throw a frightening scripture at you. And how many think we ought to continue on this next week? I should have done it in one night. Now, at 2 Corinthians chapter 5. All right, I've given you enough for the moment while you're turning to 2 Corinthians 5, and I think we'll continue on this next week. I intended to do it in one night. Uh, I think we've given enough scriptures that there is going to be a generation that this shadows forth, and for 6,000 years, Death has been reigning even over, uh, over the believers and what we have shattered here. But there's going to be a generation which is going to be the end time generation because seven is the number of the end time. Seven is the number of the book of Revelation. And there's going to be a generation that's going to escape death. Now, is it because they are lucky enough to be alive at the second coming of Jesus? Or do you think they have certain qualifications that they experience it. How many think it's because they're lucky enough to be alive? How many believe there's going to be qualifications? How many believe there's qualifications for translation? Hmm? Here's another powerful scripture that God has, uh, you know, for this generation, he's preserved this change over here and I just you know if we if we believe we are that generation or could be that generation I don't like to say we are but we could be that end time generation and if we're in that end time generation we're living in the most glorious generation of all generations because what happened in an individual here is a shadow of what's going to happen in a company around the world that, that, that's powerful. What will the Antichrist do with that? Second Corinthians chapter 5, listen to it. For we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, your body is only a house. Maybe it needs a little bit of paint on it and putty now and then. If it's a barn, I guess. Um, it's only the house I live in. The thatch on the roof up here is getting a little bit thin. The main auditorium is being enlarged. And the basement is getting a little bit <laughs> knock kneed And so forth. <laughs> so forth. Let's keep reading. We better. Uh, we have a building of God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. So the body is a house. I got this earthly house. It could be dissolved, dust to dust and ashes to ashes. But I got a house upstairs. Beautiful house. Doesn't need painting or patching up or anything. In this one, we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed upon with our house which is from heaven. Enoch, you got your house from heaven, didn't you? Yeah. All these other fellows, their house is dissolved. But God just dropped my little house on me. I got a mansion over the hilltop. Well, it just landed right on top of me. And I've been living in it for thousands of years. Earnestly de- desiring to be clothed upon with our house which is from heaven. If so, being, if so be that being clothed, we shall not be found naked because when we die, we become naked spirits. We become disembodied spirits, naked spirits. And you see, every spirit has to have a covering a clothing. That's why I dread for the sinner because when the sinner dies he becomes a naked, disembodied, evil spirit because he's not clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. He's got no house from heaven. That will be hell. For we that are in this tabernacle, also my body is a house, my body is a tabernacle, yes, 
For we that are in this tabernacle do groan, being burdened. Not that we would be unclothed, not that we want to die or become a disembodied naked spirit. And we dealt with that one other night where the, the angels take the spirit of the redeemed right through the glory, through the trackless universe. Say thanks a lot, angels. Not that we would be unclothed or die or become disembodied or naked, but that we might be clothed upon that what? Read it together. That mortality might be swallowed up of life. Oh, this mortal might be immortal. This mortal might put on immortality. So Paul is saying, I don't want to die. I don't want to be clothed. I don't want to. But I want mortality to be swallowed up of life. I am the resurrection. See to the dead in Christ but I am the life to the living that mortality might be swallowed up of life and verse 5 is so classic and we'll have to quit here now he that hath wrought us prepared us for the self same thing this very thing is God and what's the evidence of it he hath also given unto us the earnest of the spirit what is the earnest of the Spirit? What's the first fruits of the Spirit? What's the earnest? What's the seal of the Spirit? What is it? The baptism of the Holy Spirit. What happens to the baptism of the Spirit? He takes one member of this body. That little member of the body is the earnest, the seal, the first fruits, the foretaste of the redemption of the whole body. Come back next week for this exciting episode. Let's stand. David, why don't you come over here and just bless us with a closing prayer? Father, God, we just thank you for this time, O oh God, of learning, O oh God, in your ways, yeah. Lord. Father, I pray, Lord, that it would be applied to our hearts, all this mm -hmm. learning and this teaching, O oh God. Yeah. Lord, that you would just bless us as we each go our way, own ways this night, O oh God, and fill this word into our hearts again. Yeah. In Jesus' name. Amen. Everybody said amen. 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 God bless you. Amen. Be sure to visit kevinconnor.org for more information about Kevin, his books and his ministry.